the Airwaves presents The Longbow Hunters. My name is Bo S. Kim, and alongside me, the dove to my hawk, Michael J. Penn. What's going on, Michael? Hey, Wu, how you doing? Yes, yes. I'm going, I'm going to give him noogies and remind you what, how he was when he ran away from home and cried back to mommy. <laughs> exactly like that. I'm, I'm so... I'm sorry. Hawk and Dove may have been lame and everything else, but they were great on just the League Unlimited. I agree. That's all I gotta say. I agree. Their mainly, toys were pretty mainly sweet, because, too. Mainly because they got the brothers from Wonder Years, Fred Savage and Jason Harvey, to play Hawk and Dove. So that was, so that was a great inside joke to me. Anybody who wants the Wonder Years back in the early 90s. But we are here to talk about um, the Carrie Diaries, aren't we? Yeah, because that's clearly the show we would cover on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> well, we're going to cover Unfinished Business, episode 19. Wow, I cannot believe we're already at episode 19, sir. Can you believe it? I See, I still feel like we've gone farther than that, but... I yeah, can't believe we're only on episode 19. How about that? I can't believe I can't believe we've almost done an entire full full season of a podcast. That alone I'm proud of. Well, I mean, we did it with retro reviews, but that may not be the best thing to be proud of. <laughs> but again, that was more that didn't have a timetable on it. We could have done that for like the end of time if we chose to. And um I'm going to announce this on air right now. I want to talk to Michael after we get off the air about some virtual review topics we can do. But moving on, what are we going to cover this week on Longbow Hunters, sir? Uh, yes, on this episode of Longbow Hunters, we will be covering the 19th episode of Arrow, like we said, entitled Unfinished Business, co-written by our good friend of the podcast, Brian Q. Miller. And we will be covering the 26th digital comic book chapter entitled Lapse, which honestly didn't really have anything to do with this episode. But, you know, it was an interesting film. It, blank. Fit, the title, it fit the title of the, of the digital comic. Oh, absolutely. It was definitely a fitting title. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, not in the, it's not in the run sheet, but I just want to quickly mention for DC News, there is more rumors of... I'm definitely glad we're going to see, like, Swamp Thing and Constantine, first of all, return to the big screen, because the last time they were both on screen, they didn't do as well. So, hopefully, them together with more people who the average audience doesn't know, hopefully that can add to the to the universe and really expand it and get people into DC Comics and excited about them again, uh, those people who are into fantasy-type comics, because superhero movies, at least in the last 10 years, I think, and this is just my personal opinion have really geared toward the more uh, comic booky sci-fi type of audience. 
and not as much for the fantasy type people, with the exception of that obviously being Hellboy. So I'm really glad that they're really getting into that with this movie, because the only real big action uh, supernatural type movie that I can think of that I last enjoyed, uh, besides Hellboy, was Underworld, and that's not even based off a of comic. So I'm glad they're doing this. I'm really hoping they'll get the angel Zuriel to be a part of this at some point, because they want to get Etrigan in this movie. So hopefully they'll get Zerio as well, because they play really well off each other in the Justice League Unlimited comics. So, But that's just my personal opinion. I, I'm excited for this movie, as you can all tell. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say cereal? It's it's 7.20 right now. I don't need cereal, man. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, I, 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 my initial reaction, of course, and this is just... And I think this is almost everybody's initial reaction... As far as Game of the Toros is concerned, I'm expecting this to look like a standard Game of the Toro movie. And anybody who's seen Game of the Toro stuff, whether it be Mama, whether it be Pan's Labyrinth, whether it be Hellboy, knows exactly what I mean. And not in a negative way. No, I exactly. Say that. Just, just creepy, oh. out of the ordinary, and yet still a pretty good story overall. Yeah, and to Michael's point, I want to just chime in on something Michael said. There's only been, like, really two, two let's call them subgenres in superhero movies. Either these, the um, sci-fi scientific stuff, or just the gritty, again, Alex Lynch is going to hate me for using this term, the, quote, Nolanizing, you know, gritty detective stuff. Not really much of the fantasy, dark, mystical stuff. Which is actually older than the detective stuff, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what comic books used to be. Before before superheroes and Professor Bailey was here, I think he'd, he'd give us a much more detailed, detailed history lesson, but that's how, that's how the bulk of comics were before superheroes became popular, were like short little... Um, horror serials, but, um... Yeah, horror, on, westerns, yeah. comedy, stuff like that. No superheroes. Um, is, is, there anything, uh, is there anything else you want to cover, man? Because um, no. really, really all the other news is, like, really going to be for our forums. Or, not for our forums, for our spoilers, sorry. Yeah, I mean, there's really no Arrow news. I mean, there was a... There's something about the Arrow Season 1 DVD box set that it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. So there is that. Thank you, Craig Byrne. But other than that, no, there's not really anything else. So do we want to get into the episode? Um, why don't you start off with the episode, sir? All right. Well, the episode we're going to be covering today is entitled Unfinished Business, as we stated earlier, which was written by Brian Q. Miller and Lindsay Allen and was directed by Michael Offer. So, I mean, I, I didn't really have a very good bullet point list of topics for this week because uh i just i did not have as much time this week to work on the script unfortunately but and i don't really like the thing i started off with so what do you want to start out talking about um well, let's see let's see um first of all i'm gonna start with a little bit of a, a, a snippet here were they trying to give us, us a joker reference with the purple and purple and green pills sir unless that was riddler did you get that vibe well riddler's black and green 
Unless you're looking at Super Friends or anything pre-2000, then he's purple and green. Yeah, but I have to really... Count Vertigo's purple and green, too, though, so there is that. (laughs) Well, I guess guess that's like the universal DC, the DC thing for being crazy in the the DC universe. Yeah, Joker, Riddler, Vertigo, Lex Luthor, I mean, they're all purple and green. Yes. No disrespect to purple and green. Um, I, I really like, again, and I said this last week too, very old school DC in terms of how this thing was written. And I'm going to go specifically to um, the vertical thing. Like I said last week, this is very much like like season two and three Lois and Clark or season nine Smallville where you set something up earlier in the season and then like later in that season that thing will come back and haunt them. Yep. And Michael's seen season nine of Smallville and he knows what I mean by that. And you know what? In a TV show medium, this is like the only place this could work other than the comic, the comics. Like, this concept. Well, like, going off of that, too, Wu, like we talked about before we started recording, that was almost kind of what Supernatural was this week as well. I mean, you had the plot line, and sorry for those of you who don't watch Supernatural, but if you're watching Arrow, you should. Um, Basically, I I felt the same way about this week's Supernatural. (laughs) Well, because you saw the thing with Benny in this episode, the the main vampire, the good vampire, and you see him at the beginning of the season, and he's a big part of the story, and then he leaves, and then he comes back later. I mean, they set up this mo- this specific moment. And you can almost argue that with Bobby in Season 7 compared to now. They almost set it up so that Sam would have to go back. Um, yes, absolutely. I totally, I totally agree with you on that. Um, to your point, to your point as well, to your point as well, sir, like, I really liked how they, they set this up, and ultimately, um, I like the resolution with the count. Um, let's talk about the teaser first, because I really love the teaser of this episode. Very old school DC and very Silver Age, like, det- detective comic, not even DC, like, bro. Like detective, detective story where you see the opening without any of the characters that we know and love, and then we see this girl just dancing and dancing and dancing. First of all, I have to say this one thing, and maybe I'm nitpicking here, but how in the world did that girl go on that bridge in mid traffic and not get hit and just start to dance? I don't know, but it did it remind you? Of that episode in season five of Smallville, Exposed, where that girl gets totaled by that car. Um, say that episode title to me again. Exposed, that's the one where, um, where Lois has to go to the club. But even even that was a little bit, uh, that was believable to me. That I could understand, that I I didn't have a problem with. This thing, like a, like... This thing of her just like, you know, it's a miracle. It's very much a miracle. You just dance and dance. Oh, I'm having a good time. Party in the USA. Oh, no one's going to hate me. My own I, 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 I borrowed Alan Scott's green 
entering, so no one, no one can run me over. I got the the shield on. I got the shield on. Yay! Yay! Spotify! Bam! You get hit by the car. Woo! I really want to see you act that out in real life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's where the Logbook Hunters extras on our DVD. No, yes, uh, our season one DVDs. <laughs> Available for pre-order now on AcrossTheAreas.com. Yes, a proceeds a proceeds go to the Glades Fund. Yes. The Glades Fund. Yes. But even though that was a little bit preposterous, I like this whole idea of this random this random woman that has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that she reveals a new a new version of Vertigo has been released and. Quinn Lance tells Oliver and Tommy um, that she she was she was at their club Verdant, but at this point he's not really like um, accusing them of anything yet. At this point, yeah, not at this point, no. Um, did you like how they used Seth Seth, Seth Gamble even in the teaser? I mean, I'm not talking about just the later stuff. I'm just talking about this teaser because it felt very film-like to me. Yeah, I think you needed this character. I think you needed to introduce him back in the teaser for the audience to go, oh, crap. Because I don't think the teaser would have had as much impact. Yeah. And I and this is a credit to Brian Q. Miller and to, to, his, to his writing partner, Miss Allen. I loved how if you watch very closely, and I noticed this, the the orderly, the orderly that comes back later on in the episode, you can see him like scoping out and making yes. sure that he doesn't get busted by Quentin Lance. Yes, 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 yes. I noticed that right away. I'm like, oh man, that was so obvious. <laughs> if people didn't catch that, I mean. <laughs> and really, but a lot of people don't, and you have to understand, I love how, old, one thing I will um, commend Mr. Miller on when we do get a chance to talk to him, um, is how freaking old school he writes this stuff, but he writes it in a way that it doesn't feel dated. He did this on Smallville, he does this on his Smallville comic, and he did this here in this episode. And that's what I loved about it. And I loved the, the whole standard thing of cop talks to doctor, um, superhero threatens, you know, catatonic um, supervillain, and then the, the cop just has a witty response from seeing this guy who's catatonic. And that's it for us. Thank you, Dan and Nico. Please stay with us after the spoilers, and we'll see you guys next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I also really loved how the stairs of the mental institution were the stairs from season eight of Smallville's Odyssey. And then again, in, oh, really? Uh, really? It, yeah, and then they were again <laughs> used. Yes, it's the same building, isn't it? Yes, and then they were again used in season ten in the episode with the female Furies. With Granny Goodness. Oh, yeah, with Granny Goodness, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what it is. How many times have we seen that darn, like, monorail bridge? Yep, that too. In these w I love how they all film in the same places. That is just so funny. 
Yeah, and if you don't watch TV as religiously as we do, you don't notice it, but if you do, like, you notice it clearly. Again, really good. I wasn't expecting an Oliver Oliver Vertigo shootout this early. I I did like how um I did like how they're continuing again with the the um the Jiggle Deadshot thing, but we'll get to that later. But one more thing I have to talk about before we get to the before we get to the bulk of the episode. Loved loved that um Oliver confronts Vertigo. He does the line that we hear in the we hear in the t- we've heard in many of the trailers. You felt the city. You felt the city. You felt the city. He goes back to the Arrow Cave, um, only to find out via the Windows 8 computers that the Count has has somehow escaped from the mental institution. Can we just say Arkham? Uh. No, because it's not Gotham. It it's not Gotham, so I'm not gonna call it Arkham. You can call it Arkham. I'm not gonna call okay. it. Okay, okay, we'll call it. We'll call it Markham. We'll call it Markham. Okay. <laughs> or, or, or to keep this whole star, starting city much Starkham. Yes, Starkham. Yeah, there you go, Starkham. Let's call it that. Yeah. So, so. The cat, the cat is somehow escaped from Starkham, and at this point, we think, we honestly think that whole crazy thing that we saw earlier was a fake out. And knowing super villains like we do, that's totally plausible. Well, and the thing is too, like later when you see the drug deal at like with the like the homeless people and all that around the uh, fire pits, I fu- I thought that was Vertigo in the truck or in the car. Because it yeah. sounded like yeah. that. And it wasn't. It yeah. turns out it wasn't. And I was like, oh my gosh. They just really threw us for, for a loop there. Yeah. That's also a Bones reference from this season. Throwing you for a loop. Um, for the, the our Bones fans listening. Um, but my point I was trying to get to here is the thing that Oliver does with the table. That was such a good edit and such a good thing by Stephen Amell. I don't know, if, I don't know if that was in the script or not, or an ad lib by Amell. But what he does to the to the table right before we get to the title card, I was like, yes, yes. Yeah, that got me pumped. That got me pumped. Because I was waiting, I was waiting for the 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 Hans Zimmer horns to kick in. The da da. Yeah. yeah. And, and really, that's how you would kick off a movie or a comic book too, and then you'd get into the bulk of the story. But I think that's the most the most B thing that Amal's done outside of like Arrow tactics. Or you know, like you the workout know? stuff. <laughs> yeah. All the stuff that we can't do, <laughs> which is all of it. Because really, because really, like that's the thing you look for in superheroes, like Kal-El, like getting so angry that his eyes start glowing red or something to that nature, or Batman being so angry you just you see just a loud bang and then you hear the bats like squeaking in the background. Exactly, or Green Lantern getting ticked and just lighting up like a lightning bug. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's what that's what we love in the 
these like superhero things and and overall I thought the Vertigo the Vertigo count thing was very very well done. Yep. Let's get to the Lawton Lawton Diggle plotline. The Lawton the Ford Lawton Diggle plotline. I like that first of all, I like that they brought Lila back. Lila was the character that was introduced in last week's digital comic as uh Diggle's friend and, they and kind of used her. I, I will, and I was very surprised that they actually used the exact same character, the exact same character design. I'm assuming that they had the actor actors casted before they ever wrote the, the Oh comic. yeah, absolutely. Funny thing about um funny thing about that character too, Andy actually asked Mark Guggenheim if the character was supposed to be Lila um, from the comic books, Lila Michaels, who is also known as Harbringer. And she was actually someone who lived on Paradise Island with Wonder Woman. And Guggenheim basically said, yes, that's who it's supposed to be in this universe. So very cool. She is a comic Gold book character. Gold star for Andy. Yes. And Gold star for Andy. <laughs> yes. And very cool that they brought this character who normally would have superpowers into this universe and strip her away with superpowers and still make her pretty cool. So I like, give them props well, for that. Did the, the same thing with the cop in Oliver's tri trial episode. Yes, that well, that character doesn't have um, superpowers, but yes, the uh, attorney in Damaged, I forget her name, but she's the uh, superhero known as Manhunter in the comics. She works in Gotham. And this is the first. Uh, this is the first mention on the show of what we talked about in our news section, the organization that Guggenheim was hinting at. Yes, Argus. So Lila works for Argus, which is interesting because she's, she's supposed to have powers in the comics, and Argus is supposed to deal with people with superpowers in the comics, so they may go that route at some point in the series. I could see them doing that. I hope they do. But ultimately, Argus has files on Deadshot, but they don't even know his full name. So... Which is interesting that Oliver and Diggle were the ones who were able to actually get that. But, um... And I love yeah. that Lila... I love that Lila knows that Diggle's lying. I mean, she's not even long enough to know that even even when he's talking now, the few things that he says, he, she knows he's hiding something. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. But she, she does agree to help either way and track down Lawton for him. Which was yeah. which was good because I I'm I can't wait till the next episode. I have to say one th one thing about the Diggle Floyd Lawton thing. First of all, Argus a great introduction and please I know Miss Palander C C H Palander. I've heard that you're not in good health, but on behalf of Michael and I, if you can make it, please come on to Arrow as as um Amanda Waller. And if you can't get Pam Greer again. Because anybody that saw CCH Palander on on uh, Boston Legal or or The Shield, the Michael Chiklis show The Shield, she even looks like Amanda Waller. Regardless that she did Amanda Waller in Justice League Unlimited, she looks like Amanda Waller already. Yeah. Absolutely, she does. Because she, she, she has the ability to be have that warm, comforting voice, but can switch it on a dime to be very confrontational, too. Well, which is a very rare skill for an actress. And here's the thing, too, Wu. If they do go the route of Argus and do end up bringing superpowers, and if Amazon does end up happening, they could very well tie Steve Trevor into that because he was the leader of the organization for a while. 
But even if you can, it would be... Well, even if you can. Yeah. I mean, it'd just be a cool tie-in. That's what I'm saying. But but even if you can't, I could see Argus being involved with Fires. Or being involved with Malcolm Merlin in some way. Yeah. Yeah. They may even hire Oliver to take him down, which would be very interesting. Because he... uh, The one thing I was going to mention about the Diggle... um, Deadshot thing. I love that on a on a minor note. I love that the 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 newspaper of Sterling City is called the Sterling Star. Yeah. Like you couldn't have come up, you couldn't have come up with a more inventive name for that, guys. What was it in Smallville? The Star City Gazette or Register or something like that. But even but even that, I mean, like the Sterling Star. Like really? Oh, I know. It's <laughs> just okay. Uh, I mean, you kind of. I, I mean, okay. I understand you can't use Globe or Daily Planet because of Superman, but couldn't you? I mean, they could establish the Daily Planet has branches everywhere, not just Metropolis. Well, they did in the latest Smallville comic. And they did in the animated series too. I mean, you can establish the Daily. Well, that's one of the reasons why it's that it's calling it the Daily Planet. They're tied to just one city. Exactly, which is why it pro- they probably should have one in Star. But um, I did. I was really heartbroken by the scene with Oliver, or not Oliver, excuse me, Diggle and his nephew. Yes, because that nice really hurt. Meet him. I know it's nice, nice that we meet him too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I, it really hurt. I like. I it was hard for me to watch that scene because I know how much he cares for this little kid. But he can't bring himself to go any further with Carly or with the little kid because of Deadshot. Because knowing he's still out there and knowing that they're not completely safe and that he could one day come back. So it's, not, it was just really that, sad. Not, not that Deadshot's going to go after them necessarily, but he needs to keep his family safe. And the only way to do that is to get rid of Flipbot. And he himself needs that closure as well to move on. Yeah, and and for those of you who, who noticed, because I, I did on the coffee table right next to the sofa, there is a picture of Aunt Diggle. Oh, is there? In uniform. Yes, sir. where the lamp is, there is a photo of Aunt Diggle in his military garb. Okay. I need to go back and look at that again then, because I must have just missed that. Yeah. It's a small picture. It's not a really noticeable one, but it is there. Okay. Um, I, I I really have to say, and we're going to talk about this in terms of Tommy as well, Oliver is really out of line in with, this episode, I think. With what? Both Tommy and Diggle. I don't think so as much for Diggle, because I think he, w- he had a form of righteous anger there with Diggle. With what happened there, I think Diggle was kind of wrong to go off without Oliver's knowing and not inning Norfolk's call. I do agree with Oliver in terms of Diggle. With Tommy, I do agree with you. Yeah, well, ignoring Diggle, ignoring Tommy, or ignoring Oliver's call. Gee, Oliver, you didn't do that to Diggle the first seven, eight episodes of this season? The only difference was Diggle didn't really know back then. Now that Diggle knows, still, and he relies on Diggle still, a lot more. I mean, but still, like, 
I think one of the reasons why they didn't have Moira or Thea in this episode is to really show, like, how isolated and how, you know, how much of a straight arrow, no pun intended, Oliver can be without his family to ground him. I mean, even Felicity tries to, like, calm him down, try to smooth things over, but that's not, that's not doing too well. Well, remember, in the comics, he didn't have parents. He didn't even have a sister in the comics. That was for the show. So, I mean, he had to be that straight arrow. He couldn't not be. And I like yeah. that we're seeing that now in the show as well, not just in the comics. Yeah, and, and really, it, it is a place of vengeance for, for, for Diggle to get rid of Floyd Lawton. But again, what has Oliver been doing? Uh, yeah, he's been taking names off the list, but you don't think he's taking just a little bit of vengeance there? Just a little bit? Yeah, yeah, but still, I mean, I, I, just I, a little I, bit, <laughs> like, so like, you said, like you said, I still, I do agree with you, I think that he was out of line when it came to Tommy, because he shouldn't have been that distrusting of his best friend, and from what, everything we've read, we should have been distrusting of him, and now I'm even a little more freaked out about him after the end of the episode, but, I, I really felt bad for Tommy in this episode because he was literally pushed away from just about everyone except Laurel, who finally acted like a good girlfriend for once. I mean, geez. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about let's talk about Tommy for a little bit. Um, the way they the way the writers structured this was very classic, not just not just superhero drama, but drama in general. Oliver and Tommy have already been on shaky ground ever since Dead to Rights. And you see at the beginning, you see at the beginning of this episode that they're that they're still buddies because they joke around about lingerie when they see the lost and found. I love that touch because only in a nightclub does that actually happen. Yep. Yep. Um, and and as the episodes as the episode progressed, we see we see what. What is Tommy hiding? And really, at this point, we don't really, we're not really trusting of Tommy, like you said. And this isn't, this isn't something we've seen in Tommy all that much yet. The nefarious, the sneaky side of Tommy Rowland. I mean, we've heard about it, but we've not really seen it much. And like, what is he hiding? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. We've always felt that he's kind of hiding something anyway. And it really fit that he could have been the one dealing the drugs. And in fact, based off the end of the episode where they say they got the person got it from a coworker, who's to say that wasn't Tommy clear, cleaning it up? Because I, I honestly believe he is. He I never could thought, be responsible. I never thought about that. I never thought about that. But yeah, that could be true. Because or it he's could not the, be true. Well, right, but he's the type of person who would do that. But at the same time, because of Laurel. He's the type of person who wouldn't. So really, it could go both ways there. But based off what he does at the end of the episode, I think we have more more reason to be more skeptical of him than anything else. And we really have to hand it off to Colin Donald for playing, especially in the like warehouse or wherever they were when he tells Detective Lance to get a warrant. Yes. Like, yes. We, we really don't. We really don't know what he's hiding, and the reason why. Tommy quits at the end of the episode is because, okay, you've lied to me ever since you get, got back eight or nine months ago, Ollie. You 
Based off all the things he lists to Oliver about Oliver not trusting him and Oliver doing this and Oliver doing that and killing people with bows and arrows, do you, does anyone else besides me see the irony of that? Because he goes right to his father right after, who's such a worse person, and does all of that and, and has betrayed Tommy's trust near the beginning of this series already. So And it's killed people in front of Tommy. Yeah, and ultimately, and ironically enough, you have to be looking at it like this too, ironically enough, all of this is happening because of Oliver, in terms of Tommy and his father. Well, maybe not Tommy and his father, because I have, I have to assume that Malcolm still would have cut him off at some point, and still would have been hard on him like he is at some point. And even if, Mora probably would have still like put the hit out on Malcolm. At some point. Yeah. Which means yeah, Tommy right. would have been without a father because Oliver wasn't there. Yeah. Um, I love what Oliver says after the scene in the arrow cave when Detective Lance actually opens, makes Oliver open the arrow cave entrance. By the way, the key on the keypad, Oliver types in 1414. Does that have any meaning to anything in the comics? Hmm. Not that I can think of off the top of my head, but if anyone else knows anything more, let us know, because that that's interesting. Because Brian, Brian likes to put that kind of stuff into his stuff all the time. Like, he, like he, he's, in that, he's in that, like, Mark Guggenheim, Andrew Kressberg, Greg Valanti thing of Andrew Johns also putting those little tidbits in there for, for fans. Mm-hmm. Um... I, I I really did not like Oliver's line to Tommy after after Tommy like like moves the stuff out of the arrow cave. Look at what Oliver says. He says thank you to Tommy rather than I'm sorry. Yeah. And he says I'm sorry too little too late. Yeah. That's the way Tommy puts it and really Tommy's not wrong. Tommy's not wrong, but he's also not understanding Oliver. Like, the last episode we saw them have a big, like, moment together is Tommy was actually trying to understand Oliver and said, from now on, I'm going to start looking at it from your point of view. But this was not looking at it from his point of view. This was the exact opposite. But again, but again, but again how would you feel if I accused you of being a drug dealer and you weren't? 
Oh, absolutely. I completely get it. But if you gave me evidence as to why you would have thought that, I could understand. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and to your point about Tommy being really the one that distributed the drugs, why didn't you just tell Oliver that he used the t- 10 grand to, to use to hide the arrow cave to begin with? And here's the thing, too. How do we know how long ago that was? Because Tommy probably only found out a few weeks ago. How long has that money been missing? And how do we know if it's really what he used it for? I mean, yeah, we don't know. We don't point. know, but... That's a, great, that's a great point. We don't really know that if he, he did pay off anybody. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just and what's then, been said, but it, that doesn't mean it's true. But Tommy's not wrong what he says right before he quits at the end of the episode, though, when he says to Oliver, you don't really care about this club, and he really doesn't. No, it's just a front. And we all know, we all knew that from the beginning. We all knew that from the moment Oliver walked in there when it was a vacant lot. But there was yeah, something about it that made Tommy feel special and important. And Tommy felt betrayed, obviously, which is why he left. But quite honestly, if it made him feel that important, I would, I would have thought he would have fought to keep it more because that's really what I thought he was going to do. I thought he was going to say, here's everything. I want you to start being involved. But I'm going to definitely stay because this matters to me. But he didn't. He quit instead. Well, make me a majority owner. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. Make that's really what I thought he was going to do. And that's not what he did. And yeah. I was actually a little surprised. Yeah. If you really care about it that much, why don't you say to Oliver, why don't you be the manager and me, me, me be the majority owner? Because really, you know, Oliver doesn't need the money from that club. No. He still has his trust fund fully intact. Which I think, and by the way, he'll has, lose at some point. And he still but. has all his family's money. Yeah. Which, yeah. Even though Moira's CEO, even though Moira's CEO, him and Thea still get a cut of that money. Maybe not Thea so much because she's underage, but Oliver probably probably has enough like stroke within his family's company. And no, Thea's eighteen now, isn't she? I, but still, even at eighteen, in in, in terms of the total flow. You're still the youngest of the family. Oh, yeah. Well, you'd still be of age. You'd still get something. Yeah, if Oliver, if Oliver died, she'd get more responsibilities, but I think she still gets perks, but not not, not a lot. Here's the thing that Andy and I were talking about off microphone the other day. The other day. I have to think that the club is not going to be around the entire series run. I can see it being blown up. Because here's the thing, when all when Oliver takes over Queen Consolidated, and that's not a spoiler for anybody, that's going to happen sooner or later. Probably later at this point, but it could very well possibly be sooner if Mora dies. Unless Walter does come back. Yeah. Which he will, that's been confirmed, yeah. he is coming back. Yeah, and, and like Andy and I were talking about, uh, like off microphone, who's Walter again? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, too. Like, that really is starting to irritate me. Like, people are starting to forget who the character is. And I And I liked the character. Yeah, and then I'm starting to forget. You know, I was watching the pilot the other day on my iTunes queue. Like, who is this guy? Exactly. I had to think, really, two seconds. And he's only in the first really, eight episodes or so. Because, really... 
And really, in those eight episodes, he was gone for even, like, a, a short period of time within those eight episodes, too. Exactly. Which is really, and quite honestly, this is how I feel about this. That's a really, that's a real waste of talent, I think. Because I really like Colin Salmon. I thought he was very good as, in his role. I thought he played the businessman type really well and the CEO type really well. And I really liked how he was trying to build a relationship with both Thea and Oliver. And I, I, I really liked that a I lot. I really would want, like to, him to be like more of his boyfriend, living boyfriend more than his, like, like her husband. Well, see how I would have ha- how I would have thought it would have gone if he hadn't been kidnapped. He would have been more like a father figure to Thea. And she might not have gone on Vertigo and stuff like that if he were around. Yeah. Because here's, here's the thing with, with that. I, I totally agree with you on the way to talent. I just was, I'm just wondering, like, again, like, and, and it's one of the, it's one of the season one things where you test the water. I get it. But, like, again, like, I, I, I when you and I covered the show, it, we came, we can't. It takes us a while to think about who, who this character is. That says something. Especially since we've been doing it since literally the week of the pilot. And that, that really does say Yeah, something. we've covered every episode. We've covered every episode so far. And we've done that Zero episode, and we've done that interview. So it's not like we haven't been immersed in this show. And we talk about it off-air a lot, too. Yeah. So Bo- both at, both oh. with each other and outside with other people. So it's not like we because haven't you... seen it. Oh, by the way, I I have to tell you this before I forget. When I was okay. on when I was on spring break last week, one of the flight attendants on the plane looked like an older version of Willa Holland. So much so that I actually took a picture and it's somewhere on my iPod. But she lo- I was like, oh my gosh, that looks like a twenty two year old Thea Queen. It was really awesome. But that's just a little sidebar. Moving on. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I just I had to tell you before I forgot. Now who's obsessed with how Thea looks? It's all because of you and your. It's all because of you and your friend. You showed me that picture of your friend and not Hook. Okay, it's all it's all my fault now. Are you gonna hate? Are you gonna hate me like Thea hated Morva? Well, not that bad. Just don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> Uh, 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 <laughs> here's the thing about Birdie as a cover. I mean, they've hinted at the applied sciences thing. Sooner or later, that you can't have the arrow cave at the club. You need it on the estate. Yeah, you can move it to under the estate. That would be really cool as well. I think now it needs to be at the it's, club. At least for now, for a little bit. But uh, For now, it needs to be at the club, but it, it can't stay there. And and I and I respect that they're making it where the club is, solely for the purpose of making it less like Batman. They don't want it to be yeah. an underground cave under the mansion because they don't want to copy Batman. They give him his own bunker somewhere away from the estate, so no one working at the estate can find it, and only he who you know knows where it is can find it. Well, even though they kind of ripped off the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but I I feel it was oh, less ripping oh, off of Batman. I, I, oh, wait, did I say that? I didn't say that. It was Andy who said that. But that's something also that's been in Green Arrow comics for a very long time. He's always had bunkers around what? Star City. He's never had it under his estate. 
and I will get, and I'm not bashing it at all, I'm, I was just making it funny, um, here's the thing, I li- what I liked about the entrance of the Arrow Cave in this episode, after they actually built the club finally and painted everything, the, where it's located, you, it's not easy to, it's not, like, easy to find, and the way they, the way they painted it, you just think that's a storage room behind that door. It's also, I like the, see, me personally, I like the entrance better in Burn, where it was with the control panel panels, because then, then you really didn't know where it was. Now you at least have an idea. That's why it was so dangerous. Yeah. That's why it was so dangerous for the cops to be there, because they they knew exactly yeah. what they had to go into, or, whereas the other, they were there two entrances? Or are there two entrances? No, because when it because bur- that wasn't burned when we saw that one, and then the the club burned down. Okay, but but still, I th- I, th- I well, if you really want me to geek out here, just get a statue of an old dude with a bald head and have a button underneath the statue. Yep, there you go. That that'll solve everything. And, and a pole that says automatic costume change. A poll that says Arrow, a poll that says Felicity, a poll that says uh, Diggle. Yes, and, and a poll that says Louis Jones. What? What? No, that's that's for the ATA cave. <laughs> yes, we have a cave now. Yes, we just we just have it licensed. It, it's just like thing to test them. everyone in the '60s had a cave. The Teen Titans had their own cave headquarters. Batman had his own. Green Arrow had his own. Like, even Superman's Fortress was almost like a cave. Solitude is more or less an above-ground cave. Yeah, exactly. That's basically what it is. Exactly. So it's like, what was the fascination with caves in the 60s? I mean, did everyone go splunking or something? I don't know. Well, I mean, caves are like the one thing that you can hide in that no one would find you at, too. I don't know. If I were looking for a superhero's hideout, the first place I would go is a cave. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, but you do. Yeah, but you don't know what the cave looks like either. But but going but going on to um Lance and the Quinn Lance and um Laurel, I like I like the evolution of this relationship. And strangely enough, I have to say this. Um, Dinah Lance the first. Let's call her Dinah Lance the first. She really she really mended. The relationship between Laurel and Quentin without even trying. Which is very funny because she, because she went in there wanting love herself and she really brought back a love between those two instead. Well, and I love the, what um, um, Paul, Paul Blackson is his name? Yes. Paul Blackson, the guy who plays Quentin Lance. I love what he did when he's talking to his partner in, in the um, Sarkham Asylum, when he, you look at, on the look on his face, he really has a hard time, especially because of what ha- happened in Betrayal, of, like, stepping on Laurel's toes when it comes to her love life. Yes. Like, the Quinlan's we saw in episode two of this season wouldn't have a problem with that. No. But now he wants to mend that relationship. He wants to have that with Laurel because he didn't get to have that with Sarah. Now he realizes that if he doesn't have that with Laurel and loses her, he's going to have absolutely no one. 
And quite honestly, Quinn Lance <laughs> kind of said funny I don't mean it to be. He really he realizes how crazy his family really is. And Laura's like the only not crazy one. Yeah. He realizes how upset, messed up his family is, so he figures that if he doesn't make this relationship right with Laurel, he has nobody, and he, and he's really, and that's really true, and, and I have to give credit to the character of Laurel, not Katie Cassidy of Laurel, she's mad at him, he, but she understands where it's coming from. He's not, he's not doing it just for the sake of, you know, being a jerk like he has, like, the majority of the season. He, he's doing it because he, think, he thinks it's going to be better than just some random officer doing it, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think it would have been better if the partner handled it, personally. But then what yeah, was the but, but I think he wanted to reassure Laurel that through what he was doing, he didn't want to do it to hurt their relationship he wanted to do it because he had evidence and he wanted to make sure she understood that and that i do respect yeah but here's a minor thing when it comes to to laurel and the, her apartment they're always eating and they're always eating thai food and dinner is always interrupted then no one wants to eat dinner I don't know how, the, I mean, they must just never finish their Thai food and have to order it every time they're together because it just yeah, never gets done. I mean, really, how many times has somebody had a meal in their apartment and that meal never goes off without a hitch? Pretty much everyone. Yeah, well, just go to the Big Billy Burger, okay? Just go go to the Big Billy Burger. But no, no, even, she says in this episode, they went out for sushi, and even then, even then, Mule was ruined. So, Laurel, just stop having, like, dinner. Stick with breakfast and lunch. Exactly. Yeah, dinner and, 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 you know what? That would be a funny, on-money uh, joke in the future, like, Oliver tells Laurel, Honey, every time you try to throw a dinner party, it kind of sucks. And then Theo would go, Yeah, it kind of does. My family, my loving family. God, I love you guys. <laughs> that would be a great running joke for once they're all, like, heroes. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then, and then Diggle Felicity, you hear Diggle Felicity, Theodore, we go, we love you too, Laurel. Yes. Yes. And then we get a laugh track. <laughs> but I just love that kind of, I would just love that kind of thing. But the best scene between Laurel and Quentin, I would have to believe, is in the bar. Because that really was a callback to the first scene in the bar when she's, like, literally lugging him out because he's so wasted. Yeah. In this instance, like, that comes full circle between them, don't you think? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I love Quinn Lance saying that he's trying, that he'll try to change. Well, I mean, but you can see that just by his we, drinking. Yeah, Pepsi only, not, not any kind of scotch or whiskey or anything. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. already a big improvement, so there you go. I don't know why he needed it in I don't know why he needed it in a shot glass, but okay. Um I, I mean, I think this scene was what we were waiting for with Quinn Lance the entire run. To be honest. 
Yeah. scary and you saw this really creepy no, villain no oh shush you saw this really creepy villain smile on Tommy's face when he's talking to his father and then his father hugs him I mean you see it on both of them but it's something we've never really seen on Tommy before and it really reminds me of um Callum Blue's Zod smile from back in season nine in the episode Candor of Smallville, where he's smiling, looking at Clark at his father Jor-El's grave. That's what it reminded me of. And it it kind of creeped me out because I'm getting to see the future of where this is headed and really just how important this character is to this universe's mythology, which before we've kind of thrown him to the side and said, oh, he'll become that one day, but he's not important now. No, he's important now. And I think we're really going to start to see that. The evolution of Tommy has really picked up in, just in this one episode, not even the, like these past few, almost at seasons, but these last few episodes. Because really, Tommy was like really just floating along on the water in terms of his character for like the longest time. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Like, there was, there was some things revealed, but there wasn't really, and I think that was our problem, but I think that was our issue with Mr. Merlin for, like, the longest time, because he really didn't have much to do other than being in a couple world scenes, which were nice. Because honestly, I I wanted to care for him just as much as I cared for Lex Luthor in in the first few seasons of Smallville. And I really wanted to be at the point where I don't want him to become a villain. Now, obviously, I don't want him to become a villain. I do and I don't. I don't because I I do like this character now. And I do like where he's headed. And I like his ambitions. But I do want him to become one because I want to see him face Oliver at some point. I really do. Here's the... Okay, here's the thing about Tom, Tommy, and then we'll go back to the scene. I told this in the spoilers, but I'll, I'll say this for, for the for the sake of here. I don't I don't think Colin Donnell, at, le- at least in in the future, will not be a series regular anymore. Here's why: they started him going into the dark path. Unless they give us some kind of a swerve or some kind of character change. And if he continues on the dark path that he's going down, why doesn't he just kill the Green Arrow? Because it's still his friend. Still his best friend. Still the only real friend he has outside of Laurel. I I have to believe if you're moving up this character, he, like season two, he's going to be a regular. But season three, he, if there is a season three, he's going to be more sporadic. Well, I mean, think about this too. He doesn't want Oliver dead right now. He's upset because Oliver didn't trust him, sure, but it's not like he wants him dead. At this point. At this point. But we know that's coming. Yeah. And that's why I have to believe that he's he's not going to be a series regular. Because really, if he's a series regular, as a character, or even as a person, you hate this person, you want, want them dead, what's stopping you? 
Exactly. Well, other than the fact that he's probably a better fighter than Tommy. Well, is a better fighter than Tommy. But yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. But like I said, at this point, and, yeah, he doesn't and so want to you, And to your point right there, then you wouldn't have Tommy on the show because he's all training. And you can't cut away to him on Nando Park and train with the League of Shadows for the sake of argument. Like, Unless you bring Slade Wilson here. Which I could see. Yeah, but he... But even then, it would it would be like the island in present time, in that instance. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes and no, yeah. Um, here's here's to go back to that scene. Classic evil boardroom thing, yep. or evil business meeting thing. In terms of the lighting, the guy who did the lighting was it Glenn Winchester? No, it was Michael Offer. Michael, uh, I mean the, the cinematography. Oh, the cinematography. The I, do, I do not know. I think I think it was Glenn Winder. If I'm if I'm wrong, please, our Twitterverse, please um, correct me. The way they lit that scene was very old school. Um, almost, I almost got like a 1989 Batman feel out of it. Yes, yes, I, I did get that. When, when the Joker first reveals himself to to um, everybody's favorite uncle or grandpa figure in City Slickers. <laughs> or dare I even say Batman Returns where Cobblepot's the mayor. Yeah. Um, I, I loved, I loved the, the cheer swivel on, um, on Malcolm Merlin. It's the only thing we get to see of him in the episode, and yet it makes you so freaked out about this guy. Because you know what he does for a living, yeah. and because of last episode mainly, and yet, look how he is with his son. If someone can be that way and with their son... he didn't say a word. Well, and think of how two-faced this is, no pun intended. Like, really, he is a merciless... Rachel! He is a merciless killer. Like, he has no remorse for who he kills or why he kills him. He beat down Oliver with not a second thought, and he was about ready to kill him. And now he's hugging his son, and the and dead to rights, he was protecting his son. I mean, it's it's kind of scary, really, if you can think about how how two faced these people can be. Like I that's a sign of a true villain. I, every time you see two faced, I only think of this Rachel. <laughs> um, here's what I got. Here's another vibe I got of it too. The scene in Batman Begins when Bruce finishes his training. The look, the look Rachel Gould gives to Bruce. Yeah. Like I'm proud of you, son. Yeah. No, no, kill this, no, kill this chubby Asian Asian man in the bamboo cage. I want to know what happened to that guy after the fire. Um, he became he became the apprentice to Hattori Hanzo in the Kill Bill movies. No. Um, there you go. Here's the thing I loved about John Barrowman. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't need to say a word. And I love, again, I love, and this is, maybe I'm biased, I love the chair swivel. I when he spins around. I, that's, that's classic, so that's classic villain. villain, and I love it. Yes, so Brian Q. Miller. And if it wasn't Brian Q. Miller, I apologize, but 
I've known Mr. Miller's work long enough to know that's probably his idea. That was probably his idea to do the Chainsaw. Well, that's the kind of stuff you see in his Smallville episodes or even his Batgirl comics, so, or Smallville comics, so, I mean, yeah. Really, those little minute, minuscule details are some of the best details of all time in these things. Yeah. I was ang- I was still anxious though. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Malcolm, but I'm a little anxious because I don't know for sure. And then we saw it's Malcolm. And I'm like, okay, but if it were someone else, I would be very interested to see who else he would have maybe gone to. Okay, here's the here's the thing with this episode, and I was thinking this while I was watching the episode on Hulu the the other night because I couldn't watch the episode live because it was I went to a play. Um. There was no Thea, there was no Moira. I was thinking, where's Malcolm Rowling? There's gotta be Malcolm Rowling. If if there's no Moira, if there's no Thea, there has to be Malcolm Rowling. Yeah. I don't know. There has to be. And, And here's one thing that you'll appreciate and some of our listeners will appreciate. I got the vibe of your secret safe with me, Kal-El, from Lionel Luther in season five. This kind of, like, over, like, this, like, calm before the storm, cliffhanger before we go to hiatus, or, or another small reference that I told Andy this to, um, Lionel Luther looking at the pistol in season three, about to kill himself. Didn't you get that vibe watching, like, this last scene? Yeah. It was very much like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it felt a lot like that to me. Wasn't that yeah. an article in season was, five? Um, not so much, not so much Oracle, because Oracle was the penultimate into to the last episode. So I wouldn't say Oracle. Okay. But here's the thing, though. We've had about three hiatuses, right? Yeah, three hiatuses. I have to say, this one is probably the best episode we got in going into hiatus. Yeah. Because cause really, the, the first one really felt kind of flat to me, but this one adds a lot more questions of what is, where is everybody going to be? What's Laurel's relationship to her father going to be? What's Oliver's relationship to his family going to be? Not his blood family, but to his crime-fighting family. Because that's the thing. Oliver pretty much yelled at everybody, even Felicity at some point. And we, even though this isn't on the run sheet, we have to talk about the the last scene in the Starkham Asylum. We do find out that the doctor, the psychiatrist, the 500th evil psychologist in the DC universe, mm-hmm. apparently, uh, we 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 have um we have um um Spellbinder, we have Jonathan Crane, we have Hugo Strange, and we have this guy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, um, we do find out that the the psychologist that was treating treating um the count figured out a way through his like um his physical makeup, how to re-engineer Vertigo for his own, for his own purposes, and, um, I 
again, again, making excuses like psycho psychiatrists do in the DC universe. Oh, I'm not doing this to gain money. I'm doing this because I'm owed something. Blah 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 blah. Um, we find out that they themselves in engineered the count being quote unquote escaped because he didn't escape. They just made that up so they would go. Everyone would go looking for the count and not um be concerned about what they're actually doing, which is reselling Vertigo. I'm, speaking of Vertigo, I have to say that this because we kind of brushed over it. I love the scene in what I like to call the Batman Begins Warehouses <laughs> with the drug sale of the Vertigo. Yes. Uh, I love the whole thing with the arrow going through the pills. And it's like raining pills. Yep. That was very cool, actually. And I really yeah, like Diggle's fight with that orderly. I must say, I'm, I'm so glad he got some action, because that's what I complained about last week. I was really yeah, upset. Yeah, because that. I was thinking about you during that scene, these scenes, even when he picks up the vertigo when he's got the hoodie on, because I, I saw your point about Diggle not getting action. This episode, he got a lot more action than he has in the last few weeks. Yes, he did, and I was very excited, very happy about that. I loved his little callback to Odyssey when he did the clear after he jolted the one dude. Yeah. And a, cu a couple of things. The fight scene in the rain was cool. I really, again, uh, like, the DC universe is apparently full of these, like, abandoned alleys full of, like, downtrodden people, apparently. Mm -hmm. If you turn a corner, you've got like five of those. Um, I loved. Here's the. Uh, here's another. Here's another thing that's not in the run sheet, and it's not your fault, but I think it's a very important scene. We we find out one of the homeless people that was in the alley getting the vertigo. He's in an aquarium. Yes, that is what I forgot. Thank you for remembering. Yes. And I love the actress who like tells this kind of buzz off, because really there is. It's almost like a cliche in DC Comics these days. Whenever a homeless person comes across a hot chick, the hot chick does this. Hold on. Hold on. Because it's very serious. Dio, get away from me, freak! <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, and that will be another blooper on the, on the Long Behunter Season 1 DVD set. Because we see this everywhere. We see it in Superman the Animated Series. We've seen this in Smallville. We've seen this in Batman, Batman Beyond, which is now on Netflix Instant Watch now. Please watch it if you haven't yet. We've seen this everywhere. The hot chick comes across the random homeless-looking guy, and um, a great use of the aquarium got a, got, got a, um, uh, flashback to Paul Dini, Paul Dini's Batman the Animated Series episode, The Laughing Fish. Yes. With this aquarium. Yes, I love that episode. Like, like down to the down to the T. Am I wrong? Like the way it looks, it looks exactly like the one we see in that. I episode. thought you. I thought he was gonna bust the aquarium and something was gonna come out of it. I was very disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> but I did like the fight a lot, and I like that he still took the guy down. And again, that leads back into the Oliver and Diggle tension, where Diggle really should have been there to have his back because he did need him. But you know, yeah. we did talk about that. But 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 the one 
thing that I need to mention before we move on back to the back to the um Starkham Asylum. I love the whole thing of Oliver using a, an arrow to bust the to bust the, the water pipe and then nails the guy in the face to, like to disorient him. I love that. Yes. Love that. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Using the arrows as a distraction instead of just a weapon. That's something Green Arrow does and, quite often in the comics. I like and, that they're using that. And here's the thing, too. Oliver uses the herbs from the island to come up with another antidote to the, this new refined, refined vertigo. I'm just going to say this, and I want your opinion on this, Michael. I hope he has, like, um, factories and factories of these herbs because there's only so much you could have taken with you from the exactly. island. Exactly. Hopefully he had at least, like, a bag full when he left. He may have put, might have stuffed them on his person, I don't know, but... Yeah, he, I, I hope he can synthesize some more. Because really, that's not the Swiss Army knife of herbs, I don't know what is. Exactly. Y'all yeah, healed the with these on the island. Yeah, he healed them with you once. Yeah, and apparently they can, they can heal anything. It's, it's like the Amazon cuts. purple ray from Wonder Woman. Feels no, anything. It's like, it's like, in case of emergency, use these herbs. <laughs> in case of a u of emergency, use herbs. Exactly. Crush herbs. And, and, honestly, and honestly, and I don't mean this to be overly funny, but when I was, when he was using the, like, dehydrator one thing, I thought of two things. Either he's going to make apple snacks... Because that's what you're using a food dehydrator. You, or, or he's using beef jerky. Or he's going to smoke up some cannabis later. Oh my god. Wow. That's funny. And here's what I love about the dehydrator too. It dings. Yes. And it's like a blender it too. It's kind of like a blender. Yeah. You know what we forgive it? You know why? Exactly. And, and I love how Felicity is, like, questioning it. And he's like, don't yeah, question me. And, and, to your, and to your point, and to go off on that, we want to mention at least one Felicity line per, per, per podcast. I love her thing. So, this guy's holding up an aquarium and you're making tea. He has. Oh, Felicity, why are you so... Emily, if you're listening, um, I would love to take you out to breakfast sometime. Yes, he Please? very much would. He very much would. Yes. Um, and his number and, is... And I love Oliver's thing of this man, uh, this man, uh, this man didn't fill the city. The city filled him. And I love... And this actually goes back to the asylum that we're going to talk to you now. Oliver really thinks that what he should have done is is murder the Count. Yeah. And maybe none of this would have ever happened. And honestly, that's what he was going to do before McKenna and Lance came in. Remember, go back to Vertigo. That's what he was going to do. And think about this, too. The fact that Oliver didn't kill the Count when he had every reason to kill the Count is hopefully and most likely going to influence Diggle and Diggle's showdown with Deadshot. 
And I really hope it does, because I don't... I hope Diggle doesn't kill Deadshot for two reasons. One, because I think there's a lot you could do with the Deadshot character on the show. And second, and most importantly, I think you lose the integrity of Diggle if he does that. And I think Oliver see, showing him... See, I can him, see Deadshot dying and it not be, and not be by Diggle's hand and Diggle being disappointed by that a little bit. I could see that. I, mean? I could I see be... that too. I don't know if we'd see that now. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're obviously going to see a showdown. The way they're setting this up, and again, they're, they're finishing a lot of these storylines, not because they, they don't know they have a season two, they, they do have a season, they do have a season two lined up. I, 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 I'm not going to speak for the writers, I'm just assuming they're trying to tie up as, as much stuff as they can in this first season, so, so that... It'll be easier for the audience to get into season two when the DVD comes out. Because if you're just watching season because if you're just watching season two, like if you're just watching season two, you have no idea who Shadow is. You have no idea who Floyd Lawton is. You have no idea who Malcolm Merlin is. They want to start somewhat fresh next season, and if you want to, you can catch up with the show on Netflix or on iTunes or on DVD or Blu-ray. I'm just assuming that's the reason they're doing it. But back at the asylum, oh, before I do, Michael, do you have anything you wanted to add? Sorry, man. Um, no. No, I mean, ultimately, like I said, I don't want them to kill Deadshot because I think there's a lot you could do with that character. And I do, like I said, think it does ruin the integrity of Diggle. And who he is and what he is to not only Oliver, but the team and the show in general and the characters within this universe. He's very much that because straight... Because he really is the Obi-Wan Kenobi. He really is. He's very much that straight arrow, no pun intended, the guy who holds everything together in the sense of morals and values and is the compass for the entire mission. That's him. Oliver obviously is the really active the, leader, but Diggle is the mentor. he's really the only guy like that on the series. Like, yeah. everybody else has an agenda, he doesn't. And once you lose that with him, I think you lose a very important aspect of who Oliver Queen is. Because I think without that, Oliver may, may, I'm not saying he will, but may lose what he's become and go back to what he was in the pilot. The banjo guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but you know what oh. I mean. Killing people, whoever gets in his way. Yeah, and... Go, going going back to the asylum, this is the this is the first time ever that Oliver somebody has gotten a jump on the Green Arrow. Besides the Dark Archer. Well, the Dark Archer, the Dark Archer, like didn't catch him by surprise. He fought him straight on, and the Dark Archer overpowered Green Arrow. This uh, Oliver had his guard down, and somebody jumped. Yeah. And, and here's what I thought when he took off the hood. Here's two things. Oliver, you need to get some goggles, man. And the second thing was, okay, these two are going to die. Yeah. I, th I think they were, yeah, definitely the dying part, but I really do think that they want to, um, they want to fix all the problems people have had with the series so far. And they did that very well. 
coming back with Burned and the episodes after Burned, they very much fixed the main problems. But I think one of the big criticisms has been the faith, the painted mask. And while that does work in Mike Grell's Green Arrow run, where he does use that, it doesn't work for a real life universe. Where if you just well, take it. Mike Grell's run, he doesn't actually fight anybody really mono that much. Yeah. He shoots and darts and arrows more. And Oliver really should be fighting be a... more hand to hand mano y mano. Yeah, because, correct me if I'm wrong, in Mike Rell's Little Ball Hunters, he doesn't really, like, face people straight on, and if he does, it's Shadow Lord, he knows who he is anyways, so there's no difference. You're correct, you're correct in the Longbow Hunters, but then Green, then Mike Grell went, went on to write an actual Green Arrow series where he did fight people hand-to-hand. Yeah, and I'm not saying give him the New 52 goggles, Per se, but you need to cover his face somewhat. I do think the new 52 goggles would work, though. If you made them a little more updated for the series, I think that would work. I think that's where they made it. And here's the thing, and and I don't want to sound like a broken vinyl record, and for some of you listening to this, you're thinking, what is he talking about? Or a scratch CD repeating for for more younger viewers that don't know what vinyl records are. Or a broken Um, digital soundtrack. Yeah, which I... My mind, but that, that's a, that's for another. That's for a new. That's for a new show called Digital Talk with Nico Reichstein and I. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you, some people love the New Fifty Two. A lot of people don't like the New Fifty Two. Here's the thing with the New Fifty Two. Well, I don't know if a lot it's of people a, don't a, like it. It's very split. Yeah. Point is, DC is doing the right thing. In terms of, and they haven't done this really well in years past, and Michael knows what I'm talking about. When when they came with the New 52, they came up with the New 52, they said they were going to relaunch everything. Wait for it. They really did relaunch everything. Yeah. They didn't relaunch Batman, they didn't relaunch Green Lantern, but they relaunched pretty much everything else. And really, there's less divide between the comics and the other stuff, which I know a lot of people don't like. You, Michael, are one of those people that doesn't like that very much. But at least for you, for our new viewers that know really nothing about DC Comics, that's actually a smart move. Well, and let, and let, forward, and let me correct you. And let me correct you a little bit on on me personally. I I don't like that in the sense of if it ruins the actual character. Like, in the sense of if they wanted to make comics Bane more like the Dark Knight Rises Bane, I wouldn't have a problem with that in terms of personality, but in terms of everything else, I would have a problem with that because that takes away a lot of what Bane was in the comics and what made him such a special villain. But in the case of Arrow, the way that they're bringing the island storylines and the similar themes in Arrow back into the Green Arrow book... I think it works really nicely. So there are some things that just don't work translating from media to comics, but there are other things that do. And I think Green Arrow has done that really well. Batman has done that really well. Green Lantern to an extent did that really well. But there are some things that just don't work well translating from media to comics. So that that I just wanted to I just wanted to put that out there. I'm not against it. It's not that I don't like it. It's just that sometimes it doesn't work and I know that it doesn't work. 
very well, but here's my, my view on this, and I've kind of said this before on the podcast, for the new for the new readers and viewers of DC Comics who really don't know anything outside of Bruce Wayne is Batman and Superman is Clark Kent, outside of knowing that, it's great for you for new viewers that there isn't that kind of disconnect between the, the comics and the other mediums. I can see the hardcore core people like us, like Dan Schmidt, Michael, myself, Michael J. Petty, Michael J. Petty, his buddy J. David, his buddy J. David Winter, who I talked to on Facebook a time or two. It, it is it is kind of a double-edged sword of how much do you do, but at least with like this relaunching, there isn't that much disconnect in terms of the costumes. I think we can say that there there isn't very much difference between the costumes. And if you want to bring over just the costumes, not so much the stories, then do that. They're doing that with Men of Steel. They're doing they're kind of doing that with the Injustice video game that we've talked about on the podcast. Give Oliver the goggles. Maybe not the flashy ones, but give him like some dark green ones with like um black glass. Kinda of like night vision. Well, I mean like yeah, and that and that's the point, I guess. Elements from the story from the media are not bad. Like we wouldn't have Harley Quinn in the comics if we didn't have Batman the Animated Series. We probably won't have Diggle in the comics, uh, and or John Diggle in the comics if we didn't have this show. And I'm sure one day we will see John Diggle in the comics. We wouldn't have had Chloe Sullivan in the comics for however brief it was if it wasn't for Smallville. So ultimately, there are definitely some very good elements of media that you can bring into comics and make work. But when they don't work, that's when it's a problem. And see, here's my issue with DC. They said they wanted to do this stuff in the past, bridge the gap between the, let's say, the non-comic book mediums and the comic book mediums, but there never was that bridge. Now they're finally doing it. I like, I, I like that they are, but but I knew this backlash was going to come from like the the old school, the old school like. The hardcore fans that have been around for years, and really, I don't, and I, I don't want to cover this too much, but that's really a hard, hard, um, um, tightrope to walk. How do you please two of these audiences without? How, how do you how do you please your new audience without can without alienating your old one? And that's really something that no company, no no, no comic book company, um. And quite honestly, not a lot of companies know how to do in any mediums, because it's really hard to do. Yeah, and at that point, you just got to look at, from a business perspective, who's going to make you more money and who's going to stay with you regardless of what you do. And since Arrow is a since Arrow is a new sh- new show, and Green Arrow is finally getting the spotlight by himself for the first time ever, I can I can see DC's point points of like making Arrow the only Green Arrow in the DC universe. We'll talk about that more possibly on a future episode of DC Nation that I'm ho- hoping to be on. But because that's, uh, that could be a topic in and of itself, but I. I my point is, going back to our original point, you have to cover Oliver's face, because sooner or later more people are going to realize 
Because Oliver Queen, he's not Clark Kent. People know what Oliver Queen, what what Oliver Queen looks like. Yeah. Absolutely, my dear. But but I loved the fight scene. I loved the dialogue. Got a got a little again. Got a little um. Um, flashback with the Joker slash Two Face with him making him drink that um, refined vertigo. Yeah. And thank thank goodness thank goodness that he didn't save that one homeless guy with the, the let's call it the cure arrow because if he didn't have that then he would be in some serious serious doo doo if he didn't have that arrow already made. Yeah, no kidding. Oh my gosh, yes. And I loved how he had the booby trap arrow. Yes. Like he like used used his little communicator and blew up his entire quiver. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, we already talked about the fight with the fight with Diggle and the orderly. I have to say, and this is just me. First of all, I love the classic what what one of Michael's favorite directors, Brad Bird, called. Uh, villain monologuing in The Incredibles. I knew <laughs> Oliver was going to nail that guy. Yep. And I was like, you have no idea who you're dealing with. Like, And here's the, here's the thing I love about it. It's not one arrow, it's not two arrows, it's three arrows. And I love the look on the doctor's face when he realizes that his vision may be blurry, but he's still going to hit you. Yeah. Well, you're standing right in front of him, first of all, and you're saying, yeah, you can't even aim, where all he has to do is point forward with three arrows. He's going to hit you with one of them. Hello? And why wouldn't you run? Why would you stay in monologue with him? Or better yet, why don't you just run up to him and try to stab him with a needle? Or throw one at his face. Yeah, why are you just standing there... Okay, if you if you know he's wobbly, I would just run away or just try to take him out. Yeah. Why would you just stand there? But I guess the payoff was him just like like going over like a plank, and uh, I just love that old school thing of just when somebody gets hit, they just go over like a plank. <laughs> Fall down like a tree. But, but the best thing in the asylum thing was his thing in the uh, in the asylum when he goes up to the couch and he he's got his quiver ready he's got his arrow ready and he's about to take him out and we really think is he gonna do it is he gonna kill the count and I told this to Andy off microphone and I'll tell this to you and I'll tell this to Michael right now and I'll tell our audience this. And he pretty much says this at the end of the episode. There was nothing to kill. Yep. It, and make no mistake about it. It was not mercy. It was not mercy. Although, I do think he realized that killing him was not a good idea. And there was no point to it because, I mean, the, the person that he knew as the Count isn't there anymore. And ultimately, I think we'll see him come back, and maybe Oliver will regret this decision. But I think Oliver's moved past the point of killing his enemies just to keep the world safer. He knows now 
that he's not on the island anymore. Like he said in the previous episode, he's not on the island anymore. He doesn't want to live like that. He doesn't want to have to kill to survive anymore. That's not his goal. His goal is to save people. Yeah. And that means he's and, and that's not and that's not his only and that's not his only way to to handle business. But I really love the resolution that the the kind of anti Tommy and Oliver re- resolution that Diggle and Oliver have in the Arrow Cave when they talk about Floyd Lawton and they talk about you know what they what what they did wrong and how both of them kind of screwed up and I li- and I like that um, Oliver's willing to help Diggle find Deadshot. Yeah, I, I love that because Diggle goes, "What well, I thought finding Flo- or Lawton Lawton." Yeah, Lawton wasn't yeah. important to you. And he goes, it's important to you. And I love that. Okay, now we have to get to the island stuff. I'm, I made a, an, a comment to Andy Babat that right on the island, Oliver is Felicity and Slade and, Slade and Shadow are the heroes. Yeah. And really, look at how the directors choose to frame the actors on the island. Pretty much the exact same way they're framed in the Arrow Cave, just that with Felicity being there. Yep. In Oliver's place. Yep. I, I love this actress who plays Shadow. Because, because we forget that she's a villain, or she will be a villain. Well... More like an anti-hero than anything else. She's not really ever been a villain, but she's never really been a hero either. She really is like she really is the Selena Kyle to all to Oliver's Batman. Yes, very much so. Yeah, and I guess we're both suckers then, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> that trick. I want to know if that trick with the water works in real life, actually. I'm sure yeah, it probably does. Was, that, that's what I was wondering too. Um, my friend, my a friend of mine actually s- said to me that what she said about using the quiver is absolutely true. You need good arm strength to actually pull that quiver. Oh, I know. I've tried pulling quivers like that, and it is it is hard. It's very that's hard. Why, that's why if you meet actual archers, or their arms I mean. are like totally jacked out. Yeah. Their just arms are totally jacked because it does take a lot of pressure to actually pull and error, not even to, to successfully shoot one where you want to, but to actually do one and actually like make it go anywhere. Um, I have to wonder how much of Shadow's backstory is actually the truth. I'm sure there's a good amount of it that probably is. I wouldn't be surprised if she was telling the truth there because what does she have to lose at this point? All she wants is yeah, her father. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not so sure that the apartment stuff is true. Well, maybe not I'm that. Not, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm thinking that that's not true. But I love it. But and I think this is why they cast this actress to play Shadow. You can already see the attraction going on between these two. Yeah. Yeah, even kind of kind of on the same level of Laurel and Oliver, you can see the uh, like the mutual attraction to um, Shadow and Shadow and Oliver, and I can't wait, and because we're gonna get it, not this season of course, but maybe next season or possibly even if 
there is a season three, is Laurel, Shadow, and Oliver scene. That would be very cool. Because much like Catwoman, Black Canary's not going to like Shadow. Right. I mean, just, I mean, because, well, let's face it, what makes Black Canary, Black Canary, she's very steeped in her principles, which we, that, that is one thing we have seen in Cassidy's portrayal of Laurel Lance. She has very deep morals and very deep values, and she's never going to compromise those values, hardly ever. And whereas Selena Kyle or Shadow would look like to then say, um, that is the biggest bunch of bull I've ever heard, and you're, uh, you're an idiot. Well, and you gotta remember this, too. Black Canary has been chairman of the Justice League. The Justice League. So, obviously, she has some sort of higher moral, um, I don't know, I guess will, even, might be the right word, to her that makes her that type of hero. And, obviously, she's not going to appreciate anti-heroes. Sometimes, even Oliver, she won't appreciate but because of her love for him, thing, it'll be a little different. And here's the thing that bugs Wonder Woman, Black Canary, and to some extent Hawkgirl. Their morals, their morals are more noble. But that kind of, I wouldn't say bad girl, but skating the line between good and bad, that's really what attracts Batman and Green Arrow to, to Shadow and to Catwoman. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know where I stand with you. I don't, because here, here's a crackpot thing for you, and I'm not going to go too deep into this because I, I, I honestly don't, I honestly don't want to. Because truth be told, there isn't really much on the island, is there? Not really. Not, no, not really. Not besides the training. Yeah, which is cool, but we'll, which we'll get into. I mean, let's, I, but, what I, but what I was going to say is, the unpredictability of Catwoman and Shadow. It, it's, it attracts them because, yeah, it's attractive on the one hand. It's also attractive on the other hand because it really shakes up the core of who Green Arrow and Batman are as characters. The, this whole thing that nothing can that nothing can shake my focus. I am devoted to the cause. I'm devoted to saving people. But then the, comes along this woman that totally enraptures me. And the fact that a woman forget a woman, a person can do that to them. I think that's what makes them their true. The, uh, the other woman, let's say, I wouldn't even say true love, the other woman to the right, the right woman of, of Black Canary. And I wouldn't even say Talia Ghoul, but I would say even more with Bruce Wayne and um, Selena Kyle than Shadow and Oliver Queen. Yeah. And I and I hope you say that more. I and really this kind of shipper stuff. I don't want to. I don't want to bore my partner. Here. This kind of shipper stuff. I would actually like to see because it is because it's more about people's intentions rather than the emotions behind it. Which is always, I think, more interesting. And and honestly, this is why Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle have kind of done this kind of back and forth this tit-for-tat thing for the last 25 years or more. Exactly. Because 
of a queen, neither one of them really want to fall in love. No. I mean, they do, and they really, can't help but be attracted to it and want it, but <laughs> but at the same time, that wasn't their attention. That's not what they initially wanted. Hello? I have to say, I love Manu Bennett and, and Shadow in their fight scene. That alone was just like the, one of the best fight scenes in the series ever. <laughs> yeah, it was very cool. I liked it a lot. I hope we get to see them work side by side in like a um, in a partnership capacity when they fight. Because then fighting in tandem would be very cool. I wouldn't be surprised if the, uh, there were, wasn't any doubles during that scene because it didn't look like doubles. If it was actually them doing that stuff. Yeah, it looked like it. Yeah. One thing that we have to talk, because there really isn't much, much about the flashbacks in this episode other than the training, we do get a little bit of backstory into Yafe and Fires. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, this doesn't shake my racial, my racial ghoul theory at all, does it? Not really. No. Because he still could be pulling the strings. Yeah. Someone could, yeah. Absolutely. Because isn't in the isn't in the comics that this League of Shadows don't they have ties with not only the rich but the political as well? Uh yeah, generally yes. So my racial goal thing that could still stand. Mm-hmm. Look, I will, I've said this before on the podcast and I'll say it again. I'm not saying Liam Neeson's gonna be on the show. I'm I'm realistic in that. But a younger racial goal, or a mention of the Society of Shadows, because essentially that's what the soldiers look like now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Society exactly. of Sh- or League of Shadows members, you could have them be th- those guys, but maybe just for legal, you can't be those guys. But we under, but we understand, we understand what Yafe, why Yafe got on the island, and what they're gonna have to do. Like, it was awesome to see Oliver and Shadow, but the beginnings of the Green Arrow when he picks up that bow. Yes. Very, um, very iconic. I think that's all. Yes, very iconic, and I love that Shadow's smiling, smiling at him in the background because that actually has like a triple meaning of you. I'm attracted to him. Yes, I'm proud of him, but I might have to betray him down the line. Yeah. Which is generally um, what is she there does. anything else, really? No, I mean that's about it. I would give this episode definitely a five out of five. I really enjoyed it personally. It, it just. Wednesday night this week was a really good night for TV with this and then Supernatural. So playing off each other and even as separate episodes as separate entities, they were both great, just great, like standalone, not in the sense of filler, but in the sense of they stand apart from the rest of the episodes. And really, standalones are different than filler. I don't think that I don't think there really has been any filler in Arrow. Did you treat Brian Q. Miller and tell him tell him our sentiments about the episode and how much we enjoyed it? I was going to tweet him this podcast, so he will get that tweet soon. 
Okay, good because again, again, he he does the, these things like these old callbacks so naturally and so minuscule that you don't even know that they're callbacks unless you actually you know well versed in the verse. If that makes any sense, again, five out of five. I thought the writers did great. I thought the cinematography did great. I thought Blake Neely again did great with the music. The direction was good. Um. You concur, sir? I concur. So, do you want to move on um, to the comic book? Or Twitter? We have to um, go to Twitter. Twitter? Uh, yeah, I was going to uh, say, let's go to the Twitter first. Tree, 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 tree. All right. Our first one comes from Jeremy Schwartz. What a roller coaster episode mixed with hilarious quotes and serious conversations. This episode was awesome. P.S. Merlin with like 10 exclamation points. <laughs> Lauren from TV Ever After said, Shadow is Mr. Miyagi to Oliver, LOL. I think Oliver has better chemistry with Shadow than Helena and Laurel. Well, post-Island. So, she does like that. And finally, JC Cost. Another great episode this week. Good seeing the Count again, though he didn't really do much. I already sort of knew that the prison staff was going to be involved somehow, by the way the one guy looked as he came down the stairs early part, in the early part of the episode, as Wu and I both said. I like how the doctor was talk, talking smack to Oliver that he couldn't hit him with the arrows, so what does Ollie do? He pulls the three arrows to make sure he hits them. Awesome. We see what looks like to be the beginnings of Tommy eventually becoming Merlin, asking his dad for a job. Interesting. The island stuff was great, too. I like the fact that Shadow Miyagi'd him. <laughs> wow, two people said that. With the pounding of the water in the bowl, that, it's strikes... You're going to need to end this podcast with, you're the best, I'm You know I will. You know I will. That it, stre- <laughs> that it strengthened his muscles to draw the bow. Very cool. It, looked, it looks like we have a little break till next episode, but as always, I can't wait and hashtag... You have failed this podcast. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Jeremy. You guys are like the best fans ever. So, I mean that. You're the best friend. Yeah, you're the best around. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, but we're gonna move on now to the comic book review, so we can wrap this up and get to the spoilers because we'll probably have a decent sized spoiler section. Um, this week we'll be covering the comic book or the digital comic book chapter. For Arrow chapter 26, Laps. And I'll briefly give a description of this and we'll go into it. It's not going to be very long because it's I very straight to the point. I, but... love the, I love the cover of, of these issues, the last few issues. I love the picture they use. Yeah. It's fantastic. It is. It's a very cool profile shot of Oliver. I like it a if lot. It's, if, it's, if it's Photoshop, fine. If it's actually drawn, that's amazing. Because it looks almost exactly like a I think it's actually a promotional photograph. Yeah, well they, well, they did some good post work on it because it does look like it was painted. Yeah. All right, so in this digital chapter, it gives us the history of the Tommy Merlin-Laurel Lance relationship, starting with two years before the present, where Laurel was, you know, up in her books studying to become a lawyer, and that was her entire life. And Tommy was still a party boy. And ending with Tommy's birthday party in Dead to Rights, where they're quote-unquote madly in love, or whatever you want to call whatever they're feeling towards each other. So, well, quite frankly, I didn't really have much to say about this chapter. I don't even think it was really needed. 
as a digital chapter. I mean, it was nice to fill in, but really, I thought the dialogue in the show has done that enough. So, I mean, what were your well, thoughts about this? Well, I concur so much. I do, I do like that we, we see this in the comic, but here's the thing, and I'm not nitpicking, I'm just trying to be as factually as I can. We should have got this, like, episode earlier, or this digital chapter earlier on in the season. I agree. Um, I will say, I will say it's nice that we do get the backstory. Not that we needed to see, not that we needed to see all, I, I, I mean, Tommy and Laurel hook up in bed. I th- <laughs> like I mean, five times. Yeah, and, 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 you, and everybody who knows me who's listened to me on the podcast knows one thing. I am, I am not approved. I am not approved by any stretch of the imagination. But even I was like, wow, it's pretty graphic for a graphic novel. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but I, I guess it was needed. I rather would see it in flashbacks on the show rather than in a digital comic. But hey, I, it was nice. It was nice. I did like the beginning of, of the episode where we really do see, and, and I would really like to see what, and we're going to get this later on in the, the season, what Laura was like before she wanted to become an attorney. Yeah. Where, and I still, and I still hold true to your theory that she probably did want to, or Oliver to propose to her before the, before the incident. I, I do think we will see that. Yeah, and here's the here's one thing that I was just thinking about. Everybody talks about Laura being an attorney. When's the last time she was in a courtroom? Um, let me think about that. I think it was Burns. Yeah, exactly. That's my <laughs> point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, when is we've actually seen her working on the case, busting the bad guys? Yeah. No, good point. I mean, last time we saw her working on a case was the one with Vance. But last time we actually saw her in a courtroom, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, because she's an attorney. Because really, she's being more of a social worker than an attorney. Yeah. Not that I'm, not that not I'm that, nitpicking, but the things that... Well, not that that's a bad doing. thing either. We're not saying that's a bad thing or that's degrading no, in but, any way. We're just saying just, if that's her profession. I'm just, I'm just saying for the sake of argument, I've seen her more as a social worker than an actual attorney. Exactly. Um, but again, uh, this this issue was fine. I wish they would have would have done this a little bit earlier, and I wish we didn't get the Sarah and Laurel backstory on an off week. I don't think I've ever actually said that on a podcast before, but I thought that was a digital issue that should have been that should have been going when the show was running. But hey, I understand some of these things you can't control. I mean, I'm I'm neither here nor there with this issue. I thought it was fine. But yeah. it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't like anything like to write home about. Um, now, um, now before we move on to the closing, real quick, I'm gonna plug something else. Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow issue 19 came out uh, this last week, along with um, Unfinished Business and Laps. Very good issue. Very good issue. It's the Kill Machine Part Three of this storyline that goes back to the island. The cover tagline is the shocking truth about the death of Green Arrow's father. 
and it shows Komodo, the main villain, the Dark Archer-type villain, stabbing Robert Queen in the heart with Oliver looking helplessly. So it's it's a very good... You give love a bad name. Yeah. You give Archie a bad name. There you go. But no, it's a it's a great issue. It goes right, it comes right out of what happened last week in issue eighteen. A lot of barrow shooting, a lot of fights between Guerrero and Kimono, and it really made me excited for next month. So really, four out of five. Jeff Lemire, I think there is a competition between Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder of who can do more awesome in DC right now. It, there really is. There really is. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino, great, great power um, power team on this Green Arrow book. The artwork is just as fantastic as the writing and vice versa. Anyone, anyone watching Arrow, anyone who has just the slightest knowledge of Green Arrow can get into this arc, starting with issue 17, issue 0, if you really want to go back that far. But issue 19 came out this past week, 299, great deal, great story, 4 out of 5. So I, I'm I'm really go, enjoying it. Go go to go to the DC Comics website or the DC app on your Windows phones, Androids or iPhones. So, or if you prefer, go to Comicsology. They have a Windows phone app, an iOS app, and an Android app. But we have to thank some people. If I want to call across the airwaves, how would I do that, Michael? Well, you would have to get out your phone and dial one seven seven three. 809-3363. That is 1773-809-3363. And you'd have to specify, Wu, that you're calling for either Longbow Hunters, the Arrow Podcast, or Michael and Wu. I did not know that. And if I want to email Longbow Hunters, how would I do that? Well, you could email Longbow Hunters at across the airwaves at gmail.com because across the airwaves is the podcast network that hosts Longbow Hunters the Arrow Podcast, so you'd have to email acrosstheairwaves.com at no, acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com excuse me, or you can go to acrosstheairwaves.com and contact them from the re- from the website, which was recently just redesigned. And if I, I just got this Google Plus, I just got a Google Plus page, is there a, an Across the Airwaves Google Plus page or Facebook page? There's both. There's both an Across the Airwaves Google Plus and Facebook that not only Nico but Wu as well updates pretty much daily with entertainment news in both movies, uh, TV, comic books, and sometimes technology. So there's, I mean, there's a lot up there for the entertainment industry. A lot of people have Twitters. I have a Twitter at WSK9002, at WSK9002, and Michael has one at MJPenny7. That's at MJPenny7. And if people want to contact our Twitters, we have those, don't we? For the podcast? Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. For the Across Airwaves Network, you can contact at Across Airwaves. That is Across Airwaves. There's no the. Just at Across Airwaves. But if you want to contact the specific podcast on Twitter, and if you want to send in your thoughts on each week's episode of Arrow, like Jay-Z Coss, Lauren from TV Ever After, and Jeremy Schwartz did and do every week, you can contact us at Arrow Podcast. That is at Arrow Podcast. We're the only one out there. Not the only Arrow podcast out there, but the only one with a username on Twitter, at Arrow Podcast. So we're pretty easy to find, guys. Just type in Arrow in the search or at Arrow Podcast, and you'll find us pretty quickly. 
Thank, thank you to our wonderful logo logo maker for Bonus. What is his name, sir? Christopher Wytrick. Thank you, Christopher, once again. Great artwork, dude. Just great stuff. Keep it going, because really, I mean, you could design every logo for Crosshairs for all I care. Just, you got it. You got yeah. it. You're just that. And I, would, and I would like to thank our close, 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 close friends, Mr. Andy Babat, the creators of this wonderful thing called, called Across the Airwaves, Dan Schmidt and Nico Reschick, for for basically giving us this opportunity. Um, another long hiatus. Arrow's not going to be back for uh, until April the 24th, and I have to assume. We might have one more little hiatus in between, but looking at the episode numbers the way they are, I don't think we're gonna have another big hiatus for the rest of this season until the end of this season. I yeah, they're only like what four episodes after the first yeah, one back. Yeah, we have twenty three so. episodes. We have twenty three episodes, and we're already at nineteen. So I'm, I really doubt we might have one more hiatus, but I think it's only gonna be like a week, if that. If that, exactly. Well, the only possible way for that to be is if Supernatural got a two-hour finale, which I think they would allow to go first just based off of Supernatural's track record. Yeah. Um, if you're not staying for the spoilers, we'll see you again on, on the week of April the 24th. My name is Wes Kim. And I'm Michael J. Petty. Yeah, so until next time, guys, thank you for joining us, and unless you catch us in the spoilers, talking about and invasion, we will catch you on the airwaves and you next week. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Have a good time. Official description for episode 120 of Arrow Home Invasion reads Deadshot fires a, off a new round in Starling City. Deadshot returns to Starling City after taking down a U.S. ambassador and six others overseas. By keeping tabs on Argus's manhunt for the, for the assassin, Oliver, Diggle, and Felicity learn that a sting operation is underway to capture Deadshot alive. Diggle's determined to see that his brother's killer is dead, with or without Oliver's help. Meanwhile, Laurel takes drastic steps to protect a young witness, exacerbating friction between Tommy and Oliver. Later, Roy Harper unconventionally pursues all leads to find his new hero, but runs a but runs a full of Detective Lance. Back on the island, Oliver recalls how Shadow helped him. In, wow, there are a lot of big words in this. And criminally gain confidence with a bow and hit the target for the first time. Uh, JT, J. August Richards, who was a cast member on Angel, I believe, gets
guest stars in this episode. Yes, he, he was. He was um, um, Charles Gunn on seasons one through five of Angel. Okay. Yeah, he guest stars in the episode. Michael Rowe returns as Deadshot. Colton Haynes as Roy Harper. Selena Jade as Shadow. And, of course, Manu Bennett and Emily Bett Rickards as Slade Wilson and Felicity Smoke, respectively. So. Um, how is, how is this not a two-hour episode from the amount of stuff they had with this? How could you fit this in, like, 42 minutes? Woo, I gotta, I gotta confess something right now. This first season of Arrow, I have bought more episodes of this one season of one show on iTunes than I have any other thing ever. Because each episode is just well, so good in, in its own way. And I well, don't and do also that. I think it's because we cover this show. It's not, even, it's not even because that. Because we covered Smallville, we covered a bunch of different things. I still don't have a lot of episodes. I mean, I have a good amount, but I don't have as many as I probably but, should have. But you had them all on DVD, so I think that, that counterbalances everything. Point, going back to this episode, though, yeah, um, did the Riddler or, or um, the Mad Hatter write this official description? Yeah, there are, like, so many big words in this thing. I'm, like, having a hard time. Hello? Be considerate of those covering the spoilers for everyone else, guys. Come on. I think because, and I'm not sure about this, Craig Byrne, you wrote, the, you wrote this specifically so Michael could stumble over his work, didn't you? Lord of the Green Arrow TV. It's very possible. It's very possible. <laughs> Hello? Oh, oh, he cut out there for a second. Oh, that's okay. his, I said his, that's his late April Fool's joke to you, sir. Um, I, I have to say, I'm glad the picking up, like, right after where they left off, which is one thing that this series is really good at, quite honestly. Oh, yeah. It's been it's, one of the best I things, mean, if not the best thing that they've done. I have to, I have to think that Laurel's gonna get closer to finding out that Oliver is the Green Arrow. We're getting closer to the Green Arrow. Yes. Um, I, I find, I, I was wondering the other day actually when this whole thing between Roy and Green Arrow, his search for the Green Arrow, was gonna happen. I'm glad it's happening soon. Yep. And, um. What do you think? What do you think about this whole like um storyline? Like I like I mean like I said in this episode or in uh, our review on of unfinished business, I really think that if Diggle kills him, we're going to lose a big part of this show, and I think ultimately Oliver not killing the count in this episode that we covered today is going to help Diggle in his decision to not kill Deadshot. And I think he's going to ultimately also realize that not only would Carly and his nephew not approve, but it's not what Andy would have wanted. And and, exa and exactly, do you, and do you think at least for this season anyway, this will be the last appearance of Floyd Lawton at least for this season? Yeah. 
Um, unless they, unle unless Malcolm needs to use him in the finale, I would say yes. And honestly, with this, with where we are, we need to like close up some storylines. Um, when are the flashbacks that we saw in the Wonder or the WonderCon um, trailer going to happen? I, I have to assume it's not going to be this episode. It's going to be the one after this one. Well, the one after this one, I think, is called The Undertaking. So it could possibly be that one. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to think because it was like constant bombardment with this last episode. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Like, well, no, no, no. I mean, not this last episode. The, in the trailer, there was, there was a lot of oh, open-ended yes. lines in this one. Yep. Yeah. Very cinematic, so, really. You know, yeah, to, to the point where we really don't know what's happening. Like, I had to watch the trailer at least a couple times to get the feel of what's happening. Do we have any idea who J. Austin Richards is going to play? No. There's no information on that. Anywhere. So, I'm assuming that he's a part of the Undertaking as well. Yeah, he could be an agent. I may be wrong. Or he could be an well, agent of Argus. Yeah. Here's a crap out there for you. He's um Amanda Waller's nephew. Oh, that would be awesome. That'd be an awesome way to bring her, bring her in. Not just because he's black, I'm just saying it makes sense. Well, if he were an agent of Argus, it's possible. Um, or it could be her son because her family does end up getting killed. Well, what if he's related to Dickel? That could be interesting as well. What if he's Carly's brother? Or it's Andy. Although I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I don't think that could be the case. Even though he does kind of look like John. Oh, well, no. He's dead, right? No, I'm talking about John Diggle. Oh, I thought you said... So, never mind. Yes. I, uh, okay, between Sarah and Andy, Andy Diggle, I would want to see Andy Diggle back more. Uh, yeah. No kidding. Because, like, cause like you said, the whole point of Oliver's mission is null and void if Sarah's alive. Yeah. Hello? And I, I, is this the beginning in, in this episode, do you think? Another crackpot theory. Welcome to Michael Michael and Wu's crackpot theory hour. Um, do you think this episode is the beginning of, of Quinn Lance kind of softening his views about the Green Arrow and all? Judging by the trailer that we saw? Hmm. Say that again. I want say that. Yeah, say that again. I want to hear that again. Judging by the trailer that we saw. Do you think this is the beginning of Quinlan's kind of softening his view of the Green Arrow? Because because listen to what Laurel says in that trailer. The, the, the vigilante saved us. Yeah. I have to think that that's that could be the case. Yeah. It could be. Um. Okay. Is there any, really anything else that we need to discuss? Because I think we covered everything. 
Yeah, it's it's really kind of sad. I mean, and this is this is not Craig Burns' fault at all. But they don't release as many spoilers for Arrow as they did for Smallville back in the day. So we really don't know. Because well, let's, let's face it, it's season one and it's a really hot show. You don't want to release too much. Yeah, I hope I hope that changes as time goes on. But you know, it sounds like there's going to be an attack on the Queen household, which I'm very excited about. But and it looks like Oliver may even fight without his Green Arrow gear. He, he may fight as Oliver, which we haven't really seen since the pilot, really. I mean, we saw him... as well. Like I said, goggles. Goggles. Yep. So, but it looks and like I'm in really The Undertaking... Looking, I'm, really looking for, I'm really looking forward to... I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Uh, I, I was talking about... I'm really looking forward to Roy Harper in his search for the Green Arrow, because that looks really good. Yes. I, I'm very excited for that as well. I hope that's something that doesn't reach were, its peak. Because you, you were very against that at the beginning. You were very against him being on the show, but I, I, I hear that you're turning your opinion around about it. Well, I think, we've, I think I've kind of said that over the last few episodes. But, uh, but especially with this, has your, with this storyline, has your opinion changed completely? Um... Well, I don't really want him to figure stuff out by by the end of this season. Let's just say I'd rather have it keep going. I want him to save Oliver. I want him to save Oliver in the finale. Yeah, as long as it doesn't take away from Oliver's final fight with whoever he has to face, I'm okay with that. If it does, like, then I'm see, not. Like, I can see, like, Malcolm, like, zeroing in on Green Arrow and... Like, Roy Hopper saying, look out, or shoving, shoving Dark Archer out of the way, or something like that. And that saves the Hulk. I could see that. I, I'd be okay with that if they set it up nicely. See, the thing is, and I've talked about this before, I was very against Roy Harper originally because I didn't think they would be able to pull it off. And they pulled it off. And so now I'm very excited to see where they take this character. But I'm especially, still, I'm still a little cautious. Especially in Salvation. Especially in Salvation. So, and we I talked about that obviously. When he was week. first cast, when he was first cast, I did not expect them to go this deep this soon, but they did. Yeah. And not only this deep this soon, it didn't seem contrived. Yep. So I mean, that's really um, all we have for the spoilers this week, guys. Um, which is yeah. sad, but we do, we do thank uh, Green Arrow TV. We do thank Craig Byrne. For providing the spoilers every week and the trailers and every little bitty news of Arrow, which is where we get all our information on Arrow, GreenArrowTV.com. So check that website out. Check ours out, CrossArrows.com slash Arrow Podcast. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's check about it. Check either the forums out. Check either, either our forums or Craig's forums and talk about Arrow. And if you, if you want to contact us, you heard our contact information, please contact us if you, if you want to. We, we would appreciate it. And we, we want this episode to come, but honestly, guys, we're going to pull the curtain back. Michael and I are really tired, and we want some time just to not podcast for at least a week. Yeah. Well, what we'll do is we'll probably take this three-week break. That's most likely what's going to happen, and we'll just come back the fourth week with the next episode. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can expect us to tweet, and you can expect Arrow Podcast to be probably active a little bit, but 
but don't expect yeah, dumb episodes. Some news from the Arrow camp about some news for, if not for this season, next season as well. Because they tend to do that during hiatus as well. Yep. So, thanks guys for joining us. Thank you for joining us for the spoilers. I hope you guys enjoyed our episode. I hope you enjoyed our discussion because we certainly did. And we got a lot from it like we do every week. So we hope you do too because the fans are who we do it for ultimately. Because we, we really could just call each other and talk. But we, we choose to share our thoughts with you guys. So thank you all for listening. Uh, tune, in, tune in in a few weeks. And we'll be back with Home Invasion. Thanks, guys. And see you next time.